Hello, and welcome to another episode of Identity Theft Horror Stories. I'm Jenna, and as always with me is my partner in truth, Ashley. How's it going, Jenna? Watch anything interesting lately? Yeah, actually, since you brought it up, I just finished watching that new docuseries on Victoria's Secret that's airing on Hulu right now. Just, uh, wow. I Just wow. I, I had no idea how screwed up the whole thing was. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't yet. I'm definitely adding it to my list. And on that note, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we're telling the twisted tale of two sisters, one good and one evil. The story of Sarah Mitchell and Stevie Allman is a twisted story even for us. While we won't tell you anything graphic, this story is a bit darker than what we usually cover on the podcast. You can take that as your listener discretion is advised. <laughs> I think we find that as we dig deeper and deeper into identity theft, we're really going to get into more of these brutal types of true crime cases. Now, this particular story dates back to the 1990s, but identity theft and cybercrime in general are ramping up. And unfortunately, criminals are criminals. And if they're willing to steal your identity, who knows what else they may be willing to do? So there are two sisters involved in the case. The older sister, Stevie Allman, is basically the perfect picture of stability, responsibility, and kindness. Everyone loves Stevie. She was hardworking, a loyal employee, and had all but dedicated herself to caring for her family. And on the other hand, we have Sarah Mitchell. Younger than Stevie by five years, but looked so much like her that people often mistook them for twins. They were so close, but could not have been more different. Sarah was a wild card, a free spirit. She rarely, if ever, had a job and would flip from one man to the next, settling down for a bit. And then when things didn't work out, she would just go back to her childhood home and live with her sister and her mother. This was an ongoing cycle for most of Sarah's adulthood. But it never mattered how irresponsible Sarah acted because old, reliable Stevie was always there to help when help was needed. Now let's backtrack. When Stevie and Sarah were very young, their father abandoned the family. This left their mother alone to care for them, and so she moved Stevie and Sarah to Oakland, California, along with their seven siblings. They were a large, single-parent family, so a lot of the burden of help was put on the older siblings. Leota Ullman was the oldest, and Stevie was the second oldest. The two of them were often put in a position to provide child care for their younger siblings. Of all the siblings, Sarah and Stevie were particularly close. But in the 1970s, the Allman siblings all left to live their adult lives, except for Stevie, who stayed behind. She had already gotten a job at a local business. Yes, and Stevie's employers absolutely loved her. They found her to be a very hardworking and loyal employee, and after 20 years of employment, even gave her a bonus of over $100,000 to thank her for all of her hard work and dedication to the company. And Sarah was the exact opposite. By the time she was in her early 30s, she had already been divorced and was now a single mom to three young children. She moved back into her childhood home with her sister Stevie and their mother. 
The agreement was that Stevie would work as she had always done, and Sarah would take care of the household, things like cooking and cleaning and helping their aging mother. Eventually, Sarah's children grew up and moved out of the house, but Sarah never did. And why would she? I mean, she had a great thing going. She didn't have to work. She could just enjoy her home forever while her sister Stevie continued to take care of everything and everyone. In 1994, Stevie and Sarah's mother passed away. She left the house to all of her children, but Stevie paid her siblings for their share of the house and kept it for herself. She continued to allow Sarah to live there. At this point in time, crime was really increasing in Oakland. It was becoming a very dangerous place to live. Drug trafficking, gang activity, and violent crimes were rising exponentially at this point. And the local police were looking to civilians to help with cracking down on these criminals that were taking over the neighborhoods in Oakland. Here's where things start to get a little murky. One or both of the Almond sisters were videotaping drug dealers and sex workers in the streets and turning the footage over to the police in hopes that they could help clean up the neighborhood. What's the murky part? That's the thing. Every source I checked told a different story about which sister was actually doing this. Some sources claimed it was Stevie, who was playing neighborhood crusader, but others said it had been Sarah. And others said it was both of them, while their own siblings swore that Stevie would never do such a thing. I see what you mean. Right from the start of the story, we can see that there's some identity confusion between these sisters. Exactly. People had always said they looked like twins despite the age difference. It seems like this had been an ongoing issue in their lives. Okay, so far, we have one super responsible sister and one not-so-responsible sister— one of them, or possibly both of them, are acting as informants for the Oakland Police Department. Right. So, flash forward to July 1st of 1997. A woman in East Oakland heard a frantic knock at her door, and when she opened it, she saw a badly burned woman there. The neighbor recognized the woman at the door, but could not tell which of the Almond sisters she was talking to, as the woman was just burned so badly. The burned woman claimed that someone threw something in her window. By the time the fire department arrived, the whole house was already engulfed in flames. The woman who fled the fire said she was Stevie Allman. She had first and second degree deflective burns on her hands, arms, and legs. She claimed that several people had surrounded her house and firebombed it with a Molotov cocktails. As they loaded Stevie into the ambulance, her neighbors realized something horrifying and began crying out, Where's your sister? Stevie had a simple explanation. Her sister had moved out recently and now lived out of state. In the hospital, Stevie continued to weave a detailed picture of what had happened the night of the fire. She said there were people in black hoods who were running into the yard and firebombed the home. She was sure it was the drug dealers that she had caught on camera, and when she ran through the front door, she had sustained her burn injuries. Stevie claimed that the drug dealers had found out about her and Sarah filming them and had begun to threaten them regularly. The threats had become so bothersome, in fact, that Sarah felt she had no choice but to leave town to get away from the whole mess. Stevie claimed that Sarah moved to Sparks, Nevada with her new boyfriend but she had no contact information as her address book had burned in the fire. Uh, I guess she couldn't just check her iPhone data in 1997, huh? <laughs> Sadly, no. 
The police did try to contact Sarah. They at least wanted to let her know that her childhood home had been destroyed. But no one could seem to find Sarah anywhere. Detectives then changed their focus to finding these black-hooded arsonists that had firebombed the Almond House. In the meantime, the hospital had released a statement on Stevie's behalf. It was essentially a retelling of the same story she had been spinning for the police. She talked about how she didn't want the bad guys to win, so she had been helping the police, her own brand of neighborhood watch, and she had paid the price for it with her home. And as you can imagine, this story just blew up. And everyone rallied around to support Stevie. She was a hero, after all. She was only trying to clean up the streets of Oakland, and she had been nearly burned alive for her efforts. Everyone was donating money to Stevie, and the pressure on the Oakland PD to solve the case was intense. The governor of California even offered a $50,000 reward for any information on the arsonist. Meanwhile, detectives were questioning drug dealers who were acting especially confused about this case. Detectives found their behavior odd with such a high reward on the line. These guys had no idea what the police were talking about. And they had a short but very honest opinion on the matter. They said that if the Allman sisters were truly a problem, a bullet in the head would have been a much easier solution than a fire, which may or may not have taken their intended target out. Cold, but valid point. That was my thought. Since canvassing the local drug dealers was a dead end, investigators had no choice but to return to the arson report. The report contained surprising results. It showed that glass was found outside of the house instead of inside. Well, that's inconsistent with Stevie's story about the Molotov cocktail being thrown inside the house, because if that were true, the glass would have been inside the house too. Right? And because of that, they stopped thinking that it was the local drug dealers who had caused the arson and began to wonder if maybe someone else had a motive to hurt the sisters. And the only way to start determining that was to talk to the sisters. But police were still unable to locate Sarah. And Stevie was under tight supervision at the hospital. It seemed that every time detectives wanted to speak to her, she was recovering from this or that, and it just wasn't a good time. Now, here's where things get really wild. Don't be a victim. Double check everything. Go to www.idstrong.com slash identity theft horror and start monitoring your information today. About a week after the fire, Leota Bayville, the oldest Allman sibling, filed a missing person report on Stevie Allman. <gasps> what? Exactly. So the police go to Leota and ask her what she's doing. Why is she filing a missing person report on Stevie when Sarah is the sister that nobody can seem to find? That's when the police find out that it was actually Sarah Mitchell who was in the hospital, not Stevie Allman. Gosh, Sarah, don't you know better than to try and fool the oldest sister? We know and see all. <laughs> right? <laughs> We may be a bit biased here being oldest sisters ourselves, Ashley. Maybe, Jenna, but that doesn't make it or us any less right. <laughs> anyway, 
Leota claimed that she knew it wasn't Stevie in the hospital right away because Stevie would never have filmed drug dealers and sex workers in the streets. Stevie was a very reserved woman and probably the last person who would be a police informant. But we don't know this for sure, right? I mean, all the sources said something different. Some sources said it was Sarah who was the informant, and some say it was Stevie, and others say it was the both of them. We don't know for sure, but you know who does? Leota? Yep. <laughs> Leota told detectives that she received a phone call from Sarah in the hospital. Sarah explained that she didn't have health insurance, and that was why she was pretending to be Stevie. Good old medical identity theft. Yep. And Leota had a bad feeling. She wanted to know where Stevie was. Leota said she had a terrible feeling that something was wrong, and so she begged Sarah to tell her what had happened to Stevie. Sarah explained that Stevie was in Lake Tahoe. But then when Leota asked again, Sarah said that Stevie was in Reno. Sarah couldn't keep her story straight. Nope. And when Leota confronted Sarah about the inconsistencies in her story, Sarah simply hung up the phone. Leota then became very afraid for Stevie and decided to make a police report. As it turned out, Stevie had been frustrated for a long time with her lazy younger sister. Sarah was never willing to work and was always looking for someone to take care of her. The two sisters were in constant conflict over it. When their mother died, the relationship between the two sisters began to disintegrate. And this was right around the time when Sarah started impersonating Stevie in order to cash her checks. So this is way before the fire that Sarah is already starting to steal her sister's identity. Oh yeah, the warning signs were abundant. But who wants to believe their sister would do something like this to them? And Jenna, it gets so much worse. Leota reported that Stevie had begun to talk about leaving Oakland. The neighborhood had deteriorated and crime was way up. It was too chaotic a living situation for a very reserved woman on the brink of retirement. Stevie was ready to move on with her life. This caused a ton of tension with Sarah. She worried about what would happen to her after Stevie sold the house and moved on. And Stevie was making it very clear that she did not intend to take care of Sarah for the rest of her life. After talking to Leota, the police returned to the hospital to question Sarah, but found that she had already been released. They put out an APB for her and found her in a hotel located in a city right next to Oakland. Detectives relentlessly interrogated Sarah, but she stuck to her story about being Stevie. They pressed her about Leota's report, but she claimed that Leota had some kind of cognitive issues and was confused easily. She said that Leota never knew what she was talking about. Sarah kept swearing up and down that she was Stevie Allman. The detectives asked for her ID, but when she opened up her purse, they noticed that she had both Sarah's and Stevie's identifications on her. Now, why would Stevie have Sarah's ID? Detectives questioned her about that, and she claimed that the sisters often carried each other's IDs, but why? That makes absolutely no sense at all. It doesn't, and even worse, her purse was loaded with Stevie's payroll checks and the donation checks that had all been made out to Stevie after the fire. The police were getting nowhere questioning her, so they decided to go ahead and fingerprint her. That won't necessarily tell them anything, though, will it? 
Only if one of them is already in the system, and as it so happened, one of them was. Sarah had a prior prostitution charge, which means that 45 minutes later, detectives knew exactly who they were talking to. Sarah Mitchell. So where's Stevie then? Please tell me she's in Lake Tahoe or Reno living up her retirement. (laughs) Ashley, this show is not called Identity Theft, Warm and Fuzzy Stories. I know, and Stevie couldn't have been living it up anyway because Sarah had already cleaned out all of her bank accounts. Every single surveillance video showed Sarah withdrawing the money. Sarah and Stevie looked a lot alike, but they were not actually twins, and you could tell the difference between them if you knew what to look for. On July 15th, detectives secured a search warrant for the property. The house had been burned really badly, but they were still hoping to find some evidence that would help them locate Stevie Allman. Some items had survived the fire despite the severe damage, and one of them was a freezer in the kitchen. When police opened the freezer, they found what looked like an elbow sticking out of a garbage bag. Then police reached inside and found an arm and so on and so forth. They could tell that the body had belonged to a female, but they really needed the coroner to identify who this was exactly. They actually had to move the whole freezer to the coroner's office for an autopsy. Where they removed two bags of body parts, all identified as belonging to Stevie Allman. The police were quoted as saying, this is what horror movies are made of. You know it's bad when they're shook. And they had good reason to be. The cause of death was blunt trauma to the head, but the coroner reported that Stevie had taken as many as 20 blows with a crowbar or something similar. Back at the remnants of the burned-out almond residence, they used a substance called luminol. Luminol is what investigators use to find blood, right? Exactly. And in Stevie's bedroom, the luminol lit up like a Christmas tree. It was obvious that Stevie had been murdered in her bedroom. Sarah had likely attacked her while she was sleeping. And evidence of skill saw marks on the bathtub tell their own story. Sarah had dragged her sister's body to the bathroom to dismember her body. All for some retirement checks and an old house in a bad neighborhood? Yes, the motive seemed entirely based on financial gain. Now, I'm shook. So was law enforcement. They worried that a jury wouldn't believe that a woman would do something like this to her own sister. So they really had to focus on the physical evidence. Luckily, Sarah was not a very good criminal, and she left a ton of that behind. She had tried to burn the evidence, but she hadn't done a good enough job. Not nearly. And in November of 2000, Sarah's trial finally begins. Now, they did focus on the physical evidence, which again told a very compelling story of what had happened the night that Stevie Allman was murdered. There was also evidence that the fire had been started with the clear intention of burning that freezer. Sarah was found guilty of first-degree murder, a crime punishable by the death penalty. But Sarah's family pled for her life. They felt they had already lost enough and didn't want to lose Sarah too. I... I can't imagine how complicated this whole thing must be for them. Sarah murdered their sister, but Sarah is their sister. Leota was quoted as saying, I love Sarah too, you know that. I tried to stop loving her, but I can't. I tried to be angry, but I can't. I don't want to bury another sister. I know that there's good things in her. 
Sarah was given life in prison with no possibility of parole as a result. She was also barred from profiting from the crime. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to Identity Theft Horror Stories. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook at Identity Theft Horror Stories. Thanks again.